Welcome to the Super Abundant Life Podcast. I'm your host, Olaomi Brigway, a transformational life coach and the creator of Super Abundant Woman, where we are teaching and equipping women who have a burning desire for significance to create an exceptionally successful and fulfilling life without burnout or stress. In the not too distant past, I myself was trapped in an agonizing cycle of failure and shame with my mind constantly dominated by negative emotions. But my life was dramatically transformed beyond my wildest dreams when I began to live by the power and the wisdom of God's word. My mission is to teach others to experience the same. On the Super Abundant Life podcast, we have only one goal teach and empower Christians to take full advantage of their rights and privileges in Christ so they can build exceptionally successful lives. Thank you for tuning in. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, this is Allow Me, and welcome to episode 110 of the Super Abundant Life podcast. I trust you're well. I trust everything is going smoothly for you by the grace of God. And even if it's not, if you're experiencing some kind of challenge, never forget that it is working together for your good. Always, without exception, because God is in control of your life. And the more you walk with him, the more what he has prepared for you will always find expression. You will overcome every obstacle and you will come out on the other side far better than when you went in in the first place. This is the philosophy of my life and I'm using that now to encourage you. I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. (laughs) In fact, very recently we received some great news regarding my daughter. Uh, So she did her A-level exams, well, it's international baccalaureate specifically. That's the exam that takes her into university. And she did extremely well. We're so proud of her. And I'm so thankful to God for the journey as well as the outcome. The outcome is superb, but I'm more interested in who she has become in this whole journey. I'm the kind of person that I don't, and I teach this to people all the time, do not just enter into a season of your life like my husband says, bare-chested. Don't just, oh, okay, it's a new year. And then you just start living the new year. Oh, it's a new job. And you just show up on day one and live it like every other normal, natural person. You know, you're a Christian and you have the opportunity to go into the mind of God, get the word for that season and begin to speak it in advance over that season. So what I mean by that is my daughter is going to university in September but I tell you, it's not when she goes that I'll not be like, oh God, is she safe? And I'll be calling her like every night, what happened today? Are you sure you're keeping safe? No, we have already been speaking words in advance 
for months and in fact years over that so that by the time she enters into that season she basically hits the ground running that is how we live our lives that is how christians are meant to live our lives because we have access to the mind of god jesus told his disciples says all these things are hidden from all these guys but unto you it is given to know the mysteries or the secrets of the kingdom of God. So our own eyes are opened by the Holy Spirit to know these things. And then you, know, you don't just know it for knowing sake. God doesn't give you insight into your future just for you to sit down and do nothing. The very first thing you must begin to do is to begin to declare it into your life. So that's just an update of what's been happening with me and also with my family. So let us move into what I'm going to be talking about today. <laughs> and this one, I can tell you now that I am quite an expert on this one because <laughs> if there's anything I've had to grow in character-wise in my life, it is this particular thing. It is patience. Hey, naturally speaking, I am not a very patient person. Oh, God has really worked for me on this one oh, for many years. Like, you know how you just keep, you take a metal and you want to create something out of it. And then you put in the fire a little bit to soften and then you hit it, you beat it, you beat the thing so that it molds into what you want to, into the beautiful shape that you want to create out of it. That's how I feel. I'm like, God, just leave me alone with this patience thing, okay? <laughs> I mean, what's the big deal? Go and find another character trait to work on. Leave me and this impatience alone. But he's not agreeing. I don't know why. <laughs> he's not agreeing. Yes, he just won't leave me alone. It's like, you have to be patient. I'm like, okay, fine. Okay, let's go then. <laughs> if he says so, I trust you. So impatience. Today, I'm going to be talking about how to overcome impatience so that you can stay the cause until you achieve your goal. Someone said that impatience is the biggest pitfall of the ambitious person. And I completely agree with that statement. If you're someone that is driven, that, that is ambitious, you're always reaching out for more. You always feel like you can improve, you can go higher, uh, you want to get better, you want to even improve the people in your, in your life, and also you want to make society better. If you're that kind of person, the thing you will really struggle with the most is impatience because you can see it clearly. You can see where you want to go clearly and you're like, why is it not happening yet? And impatience does not really apply to people that are lazy and are laid back because they're like, whatever will be, will be, okay, Sirak, Sirak. And they're just like, let's just see how it goes, Jerry. Man, ambitious people don't think like that. And I'm that kind of person. I'm quite driven. So in that sense, that is one of the biggest things that you will grapple with. You'll be like, I'm doing all these things. And this is why, so I've just compared someone that is quite ambitious to someone that is quite laid back. The person that is laid back will not necessarily grapple with impatience because a lot of times they're not putting in the work. So they're like, mm, I know I want to do this thing, but mm, it will happen, Jare. And they just sort of leave it and say, let's see how it goes. And for them, whatever will happen will happen. But on the other side of that, the person that is driven and is ambitious, they are putting in the work. In fact, depending on how ambitious they are and depending on how spirit ruled they have allowed themselves to become. So if they're not very spirit ruled at all, they will enter into that layer of overwork, of toil, 
of excessive hard work because they are pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing because they want it to happen. They can see clearly where they want to go, but they're like, I'm going to do everything I can to make it happen. And as a result of that, they get impatient very quickly if they don't automatically see the results that they expect. There may be some results, but the kind of explosive, everybody's talking about the kind of result. If they don't get that almost immediately, they're like, I don't understand. So impatience is the biggest pitfall of the ambitious person, which I completely agree with. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting things to happen fast. In fact, as I just explained, it can be a great motivator for you to take meaningful action. Because if you're not a little bit interested in getting the things done quickly, you will just let life keep passing you by. So it can motivate people to take meaningful action. But what happens when that desire to achieve your goal quickly becomes the very reason that you don't achieve it at all. That's when we have a problem. When your drive to see this thing happen the way you want it to happen, when the drive to see that promotion into senior leadership, into CEO, into CEO, into starting your own business and seeing it explode, into seeing your children exactly the way you want them to be, into seeing your finances take on the shape of what you want it to take up. What happens when that desire to see it happen quickly actually becomes the very reason that you don't achieve it, when it becomes counterproductive? That is what impatience will do to you. And that is the lesson that God has been teaching me for a long time. (laughs) I've been learning, but we're still working on it. So I'm going to share with you today what has helped me over the years, because it is actually understanding Light is what you need to help you with impatience. Because you, there's some things that you cannot speed up. I'm telling you now. There's some things that you will not be able to speed up until God is ready and you are molded into the shape that he wants you to take for that thing to happen. I don't care how much you cry. I don't care how much you go and you know whine and complain. In fact, you are lengthening the process if you do that. He will finish the work he wants to do before he releases the thing into your life. (laughs) So in this episode, I'm going to be teaching how you can beat impatience and stay the course until your breakthrough, until you achieve your goals, your dreams, or whatever it is you are reaching out for. So I'm going to start off by talking about what impatience actually is. For me, impatience is not actually getting tired. So people think, oh, I'm just tired, I'm just tired, and I'm just going to abandon the thing. No, it's not because your strength failed. That's not impatience. That is something else. That is capacity building. So impatience has nothing to do with capacity building. In fact, most people that get impatience, it's because they have the capacity. They look at themselves and think, I can certainly do this. The other person that is achieving it, what do they have that I don't have? So it's not like, oh, I'm just so weary. I'm just so discouraged. I'm just so tired. I don't think I can do it. No, 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 no. The reason people get impatient is because they think I should have this thing now. I'm ready. So where is it? So it's definitely not lack of strength or getting tired or not necessarily having the capacity to do something. Impatience is not distraction. That's a completely different ball game. Kettle of fish. Impatience is not the shiny object syndrome. So you know how um, someone says, I want to achieve something and they're like, ah, I'm really excited. I want to achieve it. And they tend to go for it 
you, you know that person by the time you call them back in two weeks time something else has grabbed their attention yeah that is shiny object syndrome they see something that's more exciting and they abandon it that's not impatience okay that is basically just not being able to focus on one thing for a long time in fact someone that is growing impatient is because they focused on one thing and they say i want to see this thing grow i'm putting in the effort the time the money where are the results do you see what i mean okay so what then is impatience impatience actually arises when you underestimate the cost of that journey and i'll go on to explain what i mean by that so impatience is underestimating the cost of a journey if you listen to this podcast for a while you will know that one of my favorite scriptures that i quote a lot is when jesus said which of you would want to build a tower and you do not first sit down to count the cost said if you just jump in and say yes i want to go and do it you may not have enough to finish so counting the cost or rather not counting the cost is what leads to impatience do you know why for anything meaningful that you want to achieve there is always a refining process always without exception i'm not talking about people that cut corners i'm not talking about people that trade their own souls to achieve something i'm not talking about people that go through immoral ways to achieve their goals no forget all that i'm not speaking to those kind of people i'm saying if you're going with god and God has put a dream in your heart. There's a goal you want to achieve, right? There will be a refining process. You have to become a new man. You have to become a different person in order to achieve that thing. So for that refining process to be in place, then why do we get impatient and give up? Like I said, we underestimate what that process of refining will cost us. And when we realize it's going to cost us more or longer than we thought or expected we get impatient and then we give up that's simply what impatience is so if you understand that you will now realize that oh okay this is why i was getting impatient this is why it feels like this thing is not going to happen and i need to give up because when the light gets turned on you can then reverse engineer and say okay let me go and at least count the cost and rightly divide how long it would averagely take me to achieve this thing when you have that figure and it's realistic you're more likely to stay the course so let me give you an example from the bible of how this played out the children of israel my most favorite <laughs> case study yes i love these guys i love them i'm always studying about the children of israel so let's see how they demonstrated impatience and just to buttress what i've said impatience actually is what leads to impatience the bible says in exodus 32 1 now prior to this to give you some context they had come out of egypt they were now at just at the edge of the wilderness god had told moses to climb up to the mountain in order for him to give him the commandments etc so he says in exodus 32 when the people saw how long it was taking moses to come back down from the mountain they gathered around aaron come on they said 
make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses <laughs> who brought us here from the land of Egypt. I mean, this guy said, this fellow, we don't even know, maybe an, a lion has eaten him or something. We don't know, ah, 40 days, 40 nights. Where is this guy? They're like, it's taking too long. It's taking, how long does it take to climb up a mountain? Last, last, you take a day to climb up. Another two days to hear from God. Another one day to climb down. Four days, you should be back. 40 days and 40 nights. <laughs> What's he doing there? So they grew weary. They grew basically impatient. When they thought he was taking too long, they asked for idols to lead them into Egypt, thinking Moses, along with the vision that God gave them through Moses, was dead. Now, this is important because what they didn't actually realize was that during those 40 days and 40 nights, God was giving Moses specific instructions regarding the vision and how to carry it out. He was very, it was giving the law in detail. So God was actually preparing. It wasn't like God just said, oh, I'm not going to allow you to go down and meet the people just for the fun of it. Sometimes it feels like that, that God is just being extra. Like, God, why won't you just give me this thing now? Why, why, why? No, there's a purpose. <laughs> there's a reason. He didn't just keep Moses there to annoy the children of Israel. He didn't just keep Moses there just so that they will grow impatient and then you can tell them, yeah, very impatient. No, God is not vindictive. God is very purposeful. He doesn't do things anyhow. So all that time that Moses was spending there, God was literally writing upon the tablet, showing him exactly how the children of Israel were going to succeed in their journey into the promised land and when they got into the promised land. And they didn't know that. And why didn't they know that? Did you hear why they said, let us go and do something else? He said, he's taking too long. Now tell me, if they had known that it would take 40 days and 40 nights, would they have gotten impatient? No, it's because they underestimated how long it would take. And the amazing thing about it is you don't always know how long it would take. I mean, you can estimate. The better you can rightly estimate the cost of something, the more likely you are to see through. But if you're an quote-unquote optimist, do you hear what I said? Optimism can help you as in to stay motivated. But optimism is actually quite dangerous because if you're like, oh, no, 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 it, it will happen in two days. Meanwhile, for it to really happen, to for the process to be complete, it's supposed to be a year. If you're too much of an optimist, you say two days. Meanwhile, it's supposed to be a year. You will give up. In fact, I heard a story about one prisoner of war during the Vietnam War. He was an American and he was captured and, you know, for, I think it was several, I don't remember how long the Vietnam War lasted. So he was captured, he was a prisoner of war along with several others. And this guy was tortured, they were all tortured, horrible things were done to them just to try and get them to give up secrets or whatever it is. And they asked him after he escaped or he was freed or whatever, after several years old. And they asked him, how were you able to survive when so many others died? So many others gave up. So many others decided, I can't take this anymore. They gave up the secret of the United States. He said, how were you able to hold yourself and not give up? Do you know what he said? 
He said, number one, two things. He said, number one, in his mind, he knew and he believed very clearly that he was going to make it out. That's number one. So he could see the vision clearly that I'm not dying here. Okay. This place, I will not die here. So he saw very clearly that he was going to make it out. He was going to make it back home. Number one. But number two, listen to this. This is profound. He said the people around him that were the optimists were the ones that gave up the quickest. So the people that thought, oh, in three days, they will come and rescue us. And they said, oh, in another week, they'll come and rescue us. Oh, this thing cannot last beyond a month. They'll come and rescue us. Oh, this thing can never go beyond a year. They'll come and rescue us. The Vietnam War went on for years. He said the optimists were the quickest to give up because they were underestimating how long it would take or what the pain, the amount of pain it, they would inflict on them. And as a result of that, they were just falling down like, like flies. But he settled it in his mind, number one, that he would certainly not die there. He would come out. And number two, was like, however long it took, whatever pain it took for him to endure, I will come out of here. So he set his mind far and said, I'm not going to deceive myself and say that it's going to happen in a week. It could take years. I could end up being here for 10, 20 years. It makes no difference. I am coming out. And he said that was a single distinguishing factor between people who died in that place and people who eventually got freed and made it out. So optimism sometimes has a disadvantage. You think you start a business and in, in six months you're making millions of pounds. Is it like that? <laughs> we have lofty ideas. Now, it's good to have those kind of lofty ideas as a vision that they put in front of you. But don't be tricked into underestimating what it will cost in terms of time, in terms of energy, in terms of money, in terms of mind and headspace. If you're going for something significant, it's not going to happen by you just snapping your fingers. It will take time. Robert Greene, the author of the book called Mastery, said something. He said the greatest impediment to creativity or progress, as I'm teaching today, is your impatience. The almost inevitable desire to hurry up the process, express something and make a splash. So you want to say, oh, we've arrived. Oh, in fact, we like to pride ourselves on the fact that something took the least amount of time. We like to. So that we'll say, oh, you mean you made senior leader in only one year when it takes most people 10 years? Like, yes, yes, look at me. I'm just awesome. Listen. <laughs> Those things happen. God can multiply time to you and all those kind of things. But the nature of this race that we're running is there's a process. And the process does what? It takes time. So next, I'm going to talk about what this refining process actually is. What is it? What's this process? Why do I need to go through any kind of process? And I like to teach this principle using the parable of the new wine. Jesus said in that parable, no one, no one means no one, including God. He says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins for the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. Jesus said, nobody, 
not even God. Do you know why? Why is there a process? What is the refining process? It's because new levels go with new mindsets. New levels go with new mindsets. Just because you can see it in your mind and you know that this is what I want to achieve does not mean you are ready inside you. Does not mean you have the maturity to be able to handle that level of success. And did you know that success destroys more than failure does? People are more likely to be destroyed by an abundance of success than by failing. Did you know that? Just look around you. Honestly, look around you and you will see how many people have achieved so much success, but their lives are just anyhow. They did not submit to the process. And as a result of that, the success ended up either killing them, destroying them, destroying their families, destroying their lives or whatever it is. So God that loves you more than you love yourself, he's not, Jesus said, he will not put new wine into old wine skin. He's not going to do it. Why? Is it because he's being wicked? No, it's because it will destroy you. When I say destroy, I mean, sometimes I may be dramatic, like destroy. <laughs> but what I'm saying is it could end up jeopardizing something that God wants to do in your life. It could end up delaying that thing even further. Let me take marriage for an example. I'm married to hey. I don't know if you're listening to me, you may agree or you may not agree, but marriage is like the thing you have in this world that I've noticed. Uh, marriage is the thing you have to be the most prepared for before you enter into it. Not prepared for in terms of, oh, I need to have this, I need to have that. No, character. You have to be the most refined. That's why at the moment they're saying one in two marriages fail because... Marriage will test you, not because the two of you are bad people, but the two of you are different people. That's the reason. Different cultures, different traditions, different upbringing. Even if you have core values that are similar or the same, you're still different. And egos come into the thing as well. So marriage, for example, someone says, oh, this is the kind of marriage I want. This is the kind of person I want to be married to. And God is saying, you're not ready. And say, no, I, I want to do now. I want to get married. I want to get married now. And then someone basically sidesteps the process and marries the person, the kind of person, the only kind of person they can attract in that state. And of course, it's a catastrophe. Did you get what I just said there? You have a vision of the kind of marriage you want. God put that desire in your heart that is going to be a beautiful marriage. And he's saying to get that kind of marriage, I need to refine you so that you are ready. You easily attract that kind of spouse. But you say, I want it now. But the state that you currently are in, the kind of person you are going to attract will not get you to that place that you want. And if it does, it's going to be through a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Many, many years of your marriage being the main prayer point because no peace. So people sidestep. And then when they now enter into the thing, you will not like, God, now God, now my husband or my wife or whatever it is. So there's a refining process. And that refining process is not just God being difficult, not wanting you to have it. He's growing you. He's polishing you, he's pruning you so that you can actually be the kind of person that easily handles that new level 
with expertise and you succeed with it. In 1 Timothy 3.6, Paul told Timothy, do not put a novice in leadership position, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Satan is eternally condemned. Why? Because he got lifted up in pride. So Paul was saying, don't put new wine into old wine skin. Don't go and give this new level of responsibility to someone that has not renewed their mind. They will mess it up. Not only will they mess it up, it could actually destroy them themselves. They could end up walking away from the faith. They could say, this Christianity thing is not working again. Said, And that person will be lost forever on top of what? So there's a renewal process. So let's look at the wineskin that Jesus talked about. How is the wineskin renewed? What is this process? The wineskin is, first of all, emptied of all the old wine. When that happens and there's no wine inside it, it becomes dry. It becomes hard. It becomes brittle. So that's talking about a set way of thinking. So a mindset. Your mind is set into thinking a certain way. So someone is saying, but I want to break into the millionaire fold. I want to be able to earn millions of pounds a year. But at the moment, the way you think, the way you handle money, the way you engage with opportunities and ideas, the way you treat people, you are still at the 50,000 pound level. If God brings you those millions of pounds, do you know what will happen? You will respond exactly the same way as a person that is handing 50,000 pounds. And number one, the money will be lost, which is the new wine. And number two, it could actually do something to you as a person. You, there's collateral damage. You will hurt people. You will say things that you make them think, ah, man, I don't even want to be rich again. See what money did to this person. All the collateral damage. So when that wineskin becomes hard and brittle, how do you renew it? So what they would do is they will submerge it in water for a period of time. And once that happens, they bring it out, they pour oil onto it and they massage the oil into the leather to make it pliable again. So you can see that the difference between the old wineskin and the new wineskin is pliability, flexibility, not being rigid. Being quick to change and to adapt. Being quick to grow. So there is a process. When God is taking you through that process and he feels like, oh, why is he not happy? Why don't I have all these followers? I'm, you know, I've been posting and posting. I've been doing this business. I've been doing all this. Why is it not happening? Why is it not breaking loose? I've put all this work into my career. Why haven't I exploded? If you're working with God, I'm telling you that God is not just there folding his arms, looking at you, fret. He doesn't like it. He's he's not there like, hey, she's impatient. No, he's not a wicked person now. (laughs) Only a wicked person would take joy in someone's sorrow and discomfort. God is not like that. He loves you. But he understands that that old wineskin has to be renewed into a new one. He understands that the way you talk to people, at the moment, you only have one person you're line managing. Imagine if he goes and puts you as CEO and you are going to be in charge of an organization of 500. He knows that by the time you blast them in one email, not only will you lose the job, it might become some kind of a scandal. <laughs> it might be that you're a people pleaser. 
So the courage to be able to do the right thing. I mean, at department level, it's okay to be a people pleaser to a degree. But if he goes and puts you in that leadership position and you know this is the right thing to do, but because the courage to rise up and say, no, that's not right, is not there, it could end up costing that company millions or billions of pounds. People would lose their jobs. So he wants to avoid the collateral damage. The damage, first of all, to you and also the damage to other people. So that is the process. That is what it means to be refined. That's what God is doing. He's removing things that are not in alignment with where he's taking you. He's refining your motives. He's like, why, why do you even want that thing, Seth? Why do you want all those followers that you're asking for? Why? Is it just to be brandishing them and saying, see how many followers? He wants to refine you in the process. He wants your motives to be pure. That's what God is aiming actually to do. Let me give you an example, again, going back to the children of Israel, of what this refining process actually looks like in real time. What is the purpose of the refining season? Why does God lead us through what appears and feels like a wilderness on the way to the promised land? Did you know that the promised land was not actually meant to take them that long, i.e. Canaan? There was a direct route. But God is like, (laughs) if these people, let me read it to you actually in the Bible. In Exodus 13, it says, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory. Even though that was the shortest route to the promised land, God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Those Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. Did you see that? There was a direct route. But say, <laughs> these ones that I'm looking at, no, they're not ready. At the first sight of one sword like this, they will run away. They'll say, hey, we're going back. At the very least, he wanted them to be deep in the wilderness so that even if they say they want to go back, it's not so easy to go back. I mean, at this point, they were still at the edge of Egypt. They literally would have gone back to Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, imprison us again. We want to be your slaves. He wanted to at least push them deep into the wilderness so that if they start complaining that we want to go back, they couldn't just go back like that. Do you see that? And the journey, did you know, that would have taken 11 days from Egypt to Canaan, it took them a year. God took a year to get them there. That is up until the point where Moses sent the spies to go and spy the land. One year. That journey itself was 11 days. So it took them like this, like this, like this, roundabout, 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 for a purpose, to be refined. And I'll give you specific examples of what happened to them during that time that God actually wanted to use as instruments to refine them. But they were not having it. They were like, why is it taking so long? Why is it so hard? We want to go back. I don't want anything to do with this. The added time was meant to be for the renewal of their minds because they had been slaves How many generations? 430 years. They had been slaves. He wanted to break that slavery mentality from their minds. That's why he was taking them through all those things. 
but they never submitted to that process. They were so impatient for the reward, the reward of things that we want meat. We want onions and leek and potato, (laughs) right? That they basically said, we don't want this. They extracted no benefit for that refining process. No benefit for me because they were so impatient for the reward. The same way they were so impatient that they said, make us a golden calf. So let me give you a few examples. And once I give these examples, then I will now go to how you can beat impatience. So a few examples. As soon as they left the Red Sea, they got to a place where they were thirsty. Then they found a body of water. But when they tasted it, it was bitter. And they started complaining. Hey, see, they've come to kill us here. All this water, there's no water to drink for us, our children and our animals. Now, did you know? (laughs) Oh, when God showed me this, when he began to show me these things many years ago, it put a different spin to the way I see life. Because did you know the same person that said stretch for the rod and part the Red Sea? could have provided them water before they needed it. So he brought them out by a mighty hand, and then he brought them out into the refining process, into the wilderness. Okay, now I need to mold you guys into shape. So that's why he didn't automatically give them things before they needed it. So he knew they were going to be thirsty after all. He's God. Why didn't he just carry a pool and be asking angels to carry the pool of water for them. At least he showed up as fire, as a cloud. Why not water? But do you know the reason? Let me read it to you so that you will see what I'm saying. Psalm 81 verse 7 says, this is God speaking, referring to that particular time. He says, you cried to me in trouble and I saved you. I answered you out of the thunder cloud and tested your faith when there was no water and Meribah. Do you know what God was saying here? He's saying that the reason why they got thirsty, why he didn't supply the water before they needed it and they had to go through that discomfort, knowing that he surely was not going to let them die of thirst, he would eventually supply the water. Why? He said to test them. And that word test is not, oh, let's see if you pass. It was to refine. The word test is what you use, is the word prove. The way, what are these people called? People that work with metals. They will put it into the fire and they'll refine it. They will bend it. That's what it means. So he wanted to refine. He wanted them to learn that, hey, guys, look at what I did. I'm here for you. I want you to trust in me. I can never let you die of thirst. But they didn't learn that lesson. Next example, hunger. They were like, oh, we're hungry. We're hungry. We're hungry. We're hungry. And then God gave them manna. Do you know that Moses said that, in exodus i think it was he said god fed you with the food of angels why so that you will learn to know that man does not live by bread alone but by the word of god and that's where jesus got that quotation from so meaning when they were hungry and god then fed them with bread he was trying to teach them to understand that even the food that you need to sustain your life you don't need to run around for it i your god will supply Because he knew they needed to learn all these things before they entered into Canaan. So God was not just being tardy. Like, oh, ah, oh, Gabriel, come, oh, ah, these people. 
Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. We didn't know that they would need food. Oh, please go. <laughs> you people, you angels, bring your food, Joe. Bring, bring your food. And then throw it down for them. Hello. God is not tardy. God is a planner, man. The end. He finishes before he starts. So he already knew they would be hungry. He had the manna ready. But he said, as, it were, as that hunger was catching the stomach, he wanted them to understand that, hang on a minute, to reflect. And then to then see the manna coming and say, oh, you mean God will never let me go hungry and not supply? They didn't learn that lesson. Another example was the battle against the Amalekites. Joshua led that battle. Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the mountain and they defeated the Amalekites. How did they defeat the Amalekites? Was it because of their military might and strength? No. If you go and read Exodus 17, the Bible clearly says that the reason why they won was because Moses lifted up the rod of God. And as long as the rod was lifted up, they were winning and he held up his hand. Aaron and Hur helped him all night or all day or whatever it is. And as a result of that, Joshua and the Israelite army defeated the Amalekites. He said that whenever his hands fell, the Amalekites defeated them. Do you know the lesson they were supposed to learn there? They were supposed to learn that it is not by might. It is not by power. It is by the Spirit of God. So that when they got to the edge of the promised land and they saw the giants, they'd be like, uh-uh, you think it was a military might that helped us beat Amalekites? No, it was the power of God. But they didn't learn the lesson. God was taking them through all this training. They were just despising the training and saying, God, please just step aside. I just want to enter into my inheritance. They didn't learn the lesson. So that's the reason for the refining. That's why he's building you up. He's helping you. So when you get impatient, you have to understand that why has this thing not broken through? Even with everything I'm doing, you have to understand that God is doing something. I started the podcast by saying that people that are laid back, that are maybe even lazy. They're not doing anything. They just say, oh, it will happen. No, I'm not talking about that kind of person. I'm talking about you that you believe you've been doing everything you're supposed to be doing and you still haven't seen the breakthrough. It's a work that God is doing. Don't be impatient. Don't underestimate how long you think it will take or what it will cost you. The sacrifices that it will cost you. What will God ask you to give up? He may ask you to give up your ego. Because he knows that ego will destroy. He may ask you to give up the false humility. Like, oh, I'm not good enough. Knowing that if you do that, Satan will eat your lunch and pop the bag. So there's a purpose for the wilderness. Don't try and jump over the wilderness into the promise. And God won't even let you. He won't let you because he knows that both the wine and the wine skin will be destroyed. That's why he didn't let them go into the promise. I said, you people will die here. You are not going beyond this wilderness. You never learn the lesson. You are not going forward. This is where your journey ends. So finally, as I promised, I want to talk you through how to actually navigate this thing called impatience. How do we navigate it? If we know there's a process of growth that is required, right? How can I make sure that I don't underestimate the cost and then end up giving up or exiting the race? How can I make sure that I don't say it's not working and then give up? Because like I said, if you know the why, 
you will recognize it when it shows up and then you can outmaneuver it. There are two main reasons that leads us to underestimating the cost and exiting the race. So I'm going to go through those two reasons and also talk about how you can overcome them. So I'm going to go back to the parable of the new wine that Jesus told. Jesus said to them, so let me go back and and read that scripture. So it says, some people came to Jesus and said, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly. So do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your own disciples always eating and drinking? <laughs> oh my God. Say, you, just, you know, your mouth does not stop. Your mouth does not stop. As Yoruba people say, anyway, just be chopped up to dead. Why? Why are they just eating gluttons and drunkards? Meanwhile, look at the disciples of John and the Pharisees. They're always fasting. They've fasted so much, there's nothing left on their body. It's only bones and skin that's left. Meanwhile, all these ones are rotund. <laughs> they were perplexed and almost even irritated by the whole thing. So they went to Jesus and Jesus responded, Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. I love Jesus so much. Jesus is amazing. He's the embodiment of wisdom. He answered the question they were not really asking. They didn't know what to ask. So they were asking nonsense question, accusing Jesus. But he really answered what they should have asked in the first place. And do you know what that was? He was basically saying, listen, the reason why the disciples of John and the Pharisees are fasting is because this is their own season to fast. This is their own season. My own disciples are in a different season. And if they're in a different season that requires them to eat and drink, then they are well within their rights to feast, to eat and to drink. But they didn't understand that. So let me bring this home. So you, for example, let's say you want to progress in your career. You look at your career, you say, I've been in this career for 10 years. When I left university, this is where I envisaged that I would be by this time. So I've been working on this thing for five years. Meanwhile, look at someone that we graduated together and their senior leader in one Fortune 500 company, multinational. People know their name. They're being invited to speak on these big platforms. Meanwhile, nobody knows about me. Even though I've been diligent, even though I believe I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, how come my own career is not accelerating like this other person? That was what they were doing. So they were looking at the season of enjoyment that Jesus' disciples were in, and they were like, how come we have to fast? In fact, in another of the Gospels, it was the disciples of John that came, and the Pharisees that came and said, we we are fasting. How come you people are feasting? So they were looking longingly at the people, long throats, that were enjoying their quote-unquote success, and they're like, but why? Why are you succeeding? Why are you enjoying? Why are you feasting? Meanwhile, me, I'm in a famine. And Jesus said, it has nothing to do with whether you're a disciple of John or a disciple of Jesus. It is simply based on seasons. They are in their season of feasting. Let them feast. If you are in your season of fasting, then fast. Do you know what he's saying there? As we say colloquially, stay in your lane. 
Don't look at people and say, oh, but I've been doing the same thing. I only have this measure of success. But look at them. They have all the success. Why has my own not exploded like that? Stay in your lane. Even if you started at the same time, take your eyes off their own feasting and focus on your own fasting. Because if you stick with your own fasting, your own season of feasting is coming. But if you get derailed, sidelined, and become offended that someone else is in that season of feasting, you will stop fasting. And guess what? That season of feasting that you're longing after will not come. That's what Jesus was saying. So one of the biggest reasons why people grow impatient, why they underestimate the cost, why they undercut their own refining process and give up is because they are looking they keep looking and say oh but that person is that person is that person is hey no stay in your lane does that mean you become blind to people's successes absolutely not you should use people's successes as a motivational tool rather than a yardstick i'm going to repeat that because it is profound even if i do say so myself (laughs) Use other people's success, other people's season of feasting as a motivational tool to commit to your own season and to stay with it rather than a yardstick. If you use it as a yardstick, you'll be like, hey, but why are they ahead? I'm me, I'm here. You will get offended. You will exit the race. But if you use it as a motivational tool to say, ah, Oh, so it's a seasonal thing. If I continue my season of fasting, oh, surely my feasting is coming. Oh, you mean it is possible? It is possible to have all this kind of success. It is possible for this marriage to be like this, for marriage to be so sweet, to be like that. That means let me continue to submit to the corrections that God is taking me through in my own marriage. And one day is coming. Instead of becoming offended, I say, I don't even understand. I'm even better than the person. I'm even skinnier than the person. I'm even more beautiful than the person. And how come my old husband is treating her like that? Hey. (laughs) Use other people's success as a motivational tool not a yardstick. I've shared this on this podcast before a couple of times, how one of the reasons why I'm married today, one of the reasons why I live in the house that I live today to a degree, have the kind of lifestyle that I have today regarding family, regarding um, marriage, etc., is because several years ago, I've shared this. I went to visit a couple friend of mine. We went to university together. So they met at university, got married, and they're still my friends. We're still quite close. And I just, this was several years ago. I took Maxine. They lived in um, another part of the country. So we just went, spent about, I think, a week or something like that with them. And when I got there, at the time I was single, but I was doing well in my career, etc. But that whole marriage part and the family thing, it wasn't there. So when I got there, I was just spending time being immersed in that environment, seeing how they related with each other, seeing the love, seeing their home and, you know, beautiful home, beautiful area. And the family was warm. It was just something I was like, I I like this. I want this. And listen to what I'm saying. Did we not start to get, we were in the same year at university, similar age. So if I had gone, uh uh-uh. I don't understand. Me, I'm serving God. I'm doing all these things. I don't understand. How come me, I'm not married? How come me, I don't have this kind of house? And I'm using it as a yardstick. I would have left that place offended, but I left that place 
inspired like aha now god i see what you've been trying to tell me all this while oh yeah let's go i'm ready to submit to my own process so that i can have that so that is how you turn it on its head this is the biggest reason why people grow impatient and they exit the race so that's number one the second and the final one is let me read what jesus said first then i'll tell you what it is still talking about the parable of the new wine jesus said no one <laughs> who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine the old is better they say so what's the second reason why people grow impatient they exit the race it is resistance to change remember i explained that the way a wine skin is renewed is when it's old it is hard it is brittle and as a result of that, if you put new wine in, instead of it to stretch and accommodate the growth of the new wine, it breaks. So you renew it by making it more pliable. So resistance to change. Now, what does that mean practically? What I'm saying is this. Don't be the kind of person that automatically says no when something new enters your space. Instead, be the kind of person that always says tell me more that looks interesting it looks different to the way that i would do it but tell me more about that let me go and think about that a bit more do you know why i already explained that new wine can only go into new wine skin new levels can only be accommodated within a new mindset so what god is doing during that process of refining you is to help you come to the point where you embrace new ways of living new ways of thinking new ways of doing things but if you're going to say i'm going to always stay like this i'm not going to do anything then obviously the process will get longer and longer and longer you grow impatient and you say i don't even care again it's not working i'm not doing so you must be the kind of person that embraces change. You are pliable. You are open to new things. This is how you will beat impatience. Because if you are that kind of person, the process actually speeds up. It becomes faster. Because when God is bringing new things to try and show you a new way of doing it so that you can have your new wine, you're not resisting. You're not saying, God, I don't understand what's going on here. I, why is this boss? So these people in this organization, why are they always wanting to change things? What's wrong with the way it was done before? You're not ready. You're just delaying the process more. You're prolonging the process, which obviously is going to lead to you spending more time in that refining process and getting impatient. The moment you prayed and set out to accomplish your goal, God will begin to bring new opportunities into your space that are designed to lead you into that goal. That is why the Israelites never accepted Jesus because they're like, who is this one? They could not wrap their heads around it. God is saying, this is the new salvation that I'm bringing. For hundreds of years, he had been preparing them through the prophets. Through the kings, through David, through all the different examples, he had been trying to renew them. I had been trying to bring them through the refining process. They never agreed. So that when Jesus showed up, the new level, they just could not accept Jesus. They, they're like, you're not classically trained. <laughs> you're not classically trained. Where, where's your PhD or your MBA? You say you want to run a business. Where's your MBA? My dear, every day, people are succeeding in business without MBA. I'm not saying don't do MBA. I didn't say that though. 
But sometimes we just don't want to be open to new ways of doing things. You say, oh, this is how it's always done. But God is saying, I'm telling you, this is how it should be done in this new season. No, 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 no. This is how. And you start arguing. No, you argue, you prolong the process, you grow impatient, you exit the race. But you turn that on its head. How? By becoming someone that embraces new things. If you see something new coming into your space, I'm not saying jump in and say, oh yeah, something new. No, at least be curious enough to say, what's going on there? Tell me more. That's what Moses did. He saw a bush that was burning, but not consumed. Did he say, ah, uh-uh, what's this? No, I, I don't want anything to do that. No, he was curious enough to go close and say, what's going on there? And he broke into his destiny by being open. So those are the two ways that you can make sure impatience does not get you. So that you can stay the cause and keep going, keep growing, be refined in the hands of God, the hands of the potter, until you enter into your new season of abundance. This is Allow Me. <laughs> I hope that has helped you. I want to hear from you. Contact at allowmebrigway.com. Follow me on Instagram, allowmebrigway, and on LinkedIn, allowmebrigway. And if you're a YouTube person, (laughs) I want to say this here, we're working over the next few weeks to start actively building up our YouTube. So look out for videos. You can go ahead and follow me now or subscribe. I think that's the language they use on YouTube. Subscribe to my channel, Allow Me Brigway, and then turn on notifications because we're going to be releasing videos of teaching, right? We're going to do not just throw up random videos. We'll do playlists and say, okay, if you want to know how to hear God, this is a playlist. Listen to these three videos, etc., etc. So it will be quite fun. I'm looking forward to that. Thank you very much. And I will see you or I will speak to you <laughs> in the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, to leave us a review or at least to rate us on iTunes. I'm not really sure other platforms are doing it, but if you're listening to me right now on an iPhone or iPad or something like that, please give us a quick review and or a rating. A rating will do, yes? But if you want to go the extra step, you can leave us a review as well. See you next week. This is Allow Me. Bye.